You may be seated. Come awaken your people. Amen? Amen. Hey, just a couple things before we get to the word today. I want to welcome all of you who are here. If you're a guest, uh, welcome to New Hope Church. We are thrilled that you would spend some time with us. And uh, if you would join us out in the rotunda, we've got a bag full of gifts with you that, uh, that we'd like to just bless you with. Um, hey, Father's Day is right around the corner. And in that same meeting that I told you that we decided to scratch that one sermon series, we also decided we needed to do something special for fathers this week. I mean, come on, moms. You got, you got succulents a few weeks ago. We gave everybody a succulent, which is my new favorite flower. I don't know why. Succulent. I didn't know what a succulent was until some women on our team said, let's give mom succulents. We said, yay, we give them succulents. Well, here's what we're doing for the dudes. I'm talking about root beer floats. Root beer floats. We're gonna, we're gonna have root beer kegs. And, and yeah, I think, maybe not. We're, something like that. Um, <laughs> we're gonna be doing some mass root beer floats. And uh, that's on Father's Day, which is really, believe it or not, it's only a few weeks away. I think that's June 19th. Where, where did 2022 go? But I'm not even kidding. Bring your dads on that day. And uh, we're going to have a big day there. Uh, next Sunday, you do not want to miss next Sunday. Uh, my good friend, uh, Rusty George, who is a phenomenal teacher, who wrote the book after Amen, is going to be here with us next week. And he's going to be signing books and all that kind of stuff. We have those books in the Resource Center already uh, today. So really encourage you to get one of those if you want to follow along with the series. Hey, do we have any cheerful givers in the house? Let's, let's just turn our attention to the offering. All kinds of different ways to give there, but now is the time when we do that. Listen, I am fully aware that money is a source of headache for many, many people, and it's a source of problems for many, many people. But here's what's really cool. God's word, which we turn to as the people of God, gives us great, great wisdom when we start to talk about finances. And God's word says that I am to prioritize my giving. That's why the Bible says on the first day of the week, God is a God of first. Can I get an amen? God deserves our first. And so I would just encourage you as we get into these summer months uh, to put God first in your finances. And we do that by giving online. You can simply figure up your tithe, click reoccurring, and know that as you travel and vacation, you are sowing into the church, the very hope of the world. Proverbs 28, 20 puts it like this. A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to give will not go unpunished. When we gather our resources and we honor God with it, we bless not only God, but God has a way of taking care of us as well. So for those of you who sow into the ministries of this church, thank you so much. There are black boxes in the back for those of you who still like to give in person. And I just want to thank you very much for your generosity. Well, today uh, we have one of our very own, own. She has been raised in this church and uh, she has become a, a faithful Bible teacher here. I am just so grateful for her. I want to pray over her. Would you welcome Abby Ferguson to the stage? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this young woman of God. Lord, thank you for the way she handles the word of truth. Father, thank you for the way in which this church 
has poured into her since she was a little girl and has raised her. And God, now she has given her life, her mind, her heart, her body, everything to you. And Father, we praise you for the way in which you have gifted her to be a young, faithful teacher at this church. Father, we pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit upon her today. Anoint her. Anoint her, Father, to bring that which you desire for your people to hear today, be it online or in person. And Father, give the hearers, me included, ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand, and then live out what she brings forth today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of those who love the Lord said, amen. Amen. Yeah. Welcome her one more time. Yeah. Well, good morning, church. Well, it is great to be here with you all here today. We are in part three of our current series, After Amen, where we've been talking all about prayer and what to do after we say amen. But I have a question for you. Have you ever felt stuck? Like you were just waiting on God and you didn't know what to do next? Well, if that's you, or you can relate to any of those words in which I just said, I truly believe, like hear my heart today, church, there is a spirit here today. I genuinely believe that God has a word he'd wanna speak over your life today. But before we do this, I actually wanted to go ahead and share a confession with you all here today. And church, this confession, it is actually one that is sort of embarrassing. In fact, in all honesty, I actually second guessed whether or not I should even tell you the story in which I'm about to tell you today. But I figured with a room this size and with hundreds watching online, I mean, if you're gonna share your most embarrassing story, why not share it in a room this size? Am I right? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're ready, I hope I am too. But here it goes, a value we have here at New Hope is to make it better. Meaning that whenever we walk into an environment, our goal should be to leave that room better than when we found it. And I remember when I first came on staff about four years ago, I would often live out this value whenever I'd walk into a room and notice a trash can that was full. Now, instead of assuming that someone else was gonna come and take out the trash because that was just their job, I would often take the liberty of picking up those bags myself and walking them back out to our dumpster area. And church, what you need to know is here at New Hope, our dumpsters are surrounded by these two large locked wooden doors. So that anytime when you wanna actually access the dumpsters inside of them, all you'd have to do is open up the door step into the enclosed area where the dumpsters were before walking back out and shutting the door behind you. And I'll never forget, there was this one particular day. It was a beautiful day. I'm talking the sun was shining, it was 70 degree weather with a light wind to keep cool. And I was walking back out to the dumpsters with a bag across my shoulder, and I open up the door and I step inside, I start throwing the bags into the dumpster. And then when I turned to go out, I had pushed open the door, and then that's when I realized I had somehow, like I still don't know how to this day, managed to lock myself inside the dumpster area. Now I'm really glad you think that's funny because I personally didn't. I was sitting there and I'm thinking, oh my word, like what are people gonna think about me and how am I gonna get out of here? And to make the matters even worse, Pastor Benji's office windows overlooked the dumpster area. All right, so if he saw me go in and never come back out, He's probably questioning who had the idea to hire the girl that manages to lock herself in the dumpsters. And so as I'm questioning these what ifs in my mind, I start to hear the sound of footsteps from behind the door. 
And as I peek through the slither of the crack on the door, I can see that one of our brand new pastors is making his way out to his car. And I thought to myself, finally, I can call out to him and that he will come and rescue me. But as I evaluated my next move, I instead started to question it, thinking, well, what if he looks down upon me because I had to make a dumpster rescue on his first day? <laughs> so instead of going with the next move, as you could imagine, I decided to shrink back and stay stuck as I waited for someone else to walk past the doors. Now, here's the thing, I'm sure you're wondering, why do I tell you that story this morning? It's to have me ask you that question I asked you at the beginning of this message again. Have you ever felt stuck? And you just didn't know what to do. But let me go ahead and one-up that. Have you ever felt that way in your prayers with God before? Maybe you've been praying for that fear in your life to be removed. You've been praying about that issue happening at your job. You've been praying healing with that one family member, yet nothing seems to be changing. And you're just left feeling stuck, questioning, do you even really hear me, God? Maybe for you, you feel stuck in unforgiveness. You've been hurt and you've prayed about it, yet that pain is still present. Or maybe for you, you feel stuck in confusion, saying, God, I asked you for this, and yet you haven't come through. Have you ever been there? Where you've been praying for God to move and he hasn't come through. And so you're left questioning, well, God, are you mad at me? Am I doing something wrong? Maybe do I need to perform more in order to get you to notice me, God? See, we're in this series titled After Amen where we've been talking about what do we do after we say those words, amen. And I so strongly believe in the power the topic we're gonna speak on today can have over your life that I wanna go ahead and take a moment to flip this message on its head and give you the one major takeaway that I want you to remember today. And this is actually a line that's been quoted and modified by a line of significant people in our history. People like Martin Luther King Jr., Michael J. Fox, Theodore Roosevelt, and Mother Teresa. If you miss anything I say today, don't miss this. In fact, it'll be on your screens. Let's go ahead and take a moment to read it out loud together. Ready, go, do the next right thing. When you are stuck and you are waiting on God, unsure as what to do next, do the next right thing. See, if you were with us in part one of this series, you might recall how Pastor Benji told us that when we open up the Gospels, known in our Bibles as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's there that we see Jesus models for us what to do after we say amen. But in those same Gospels, we can see that although Jesus never point blank says the word, do the next right thing, he would often live out that phrase in his approach with people, in his abilities to watch and to wait. In my study, I found a pastor in the Midwest who broke down different elements of the Gospels for us to see clearly that I wanted to go ahead and do the same with you all today. So if you turn attention to the screen, you can see multiple instances in which Jesus gave us a command to do the next right thing. So starting in Matthew 8, we see that Jesus heals a man with leprosy, and then he tells him to go and do the next right thing of showing himself to a priest. Looking down a bit further, we see in Luke 2, Jesus sees a paralyzed man. Not only does he see this man, but this brother comes down through a hole in the roof. 
And Jesus tells him to do the next right thing of simply picking up his bed. Now, if all these examples weren't enough, there's even more times in which Jesus gives us this command. Looking deeper into the Gospels, we see that in Luke 5, Jesus heals a man named Jairus' daughter and then tells that whole family to do the next right thing of going to go get something to eat. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of command I'd like to receive. Amen? A couple of you are ready today. But looking even deeper, we see time and time again, so often Jesus gives us the command to do the next right thing. But of all these examples that weren't enough, there's even more. As we look even deeper, we see in John 5 all the way to John 11, so often Jesus would give us this command. And so if we're here today to learn more about the life that Jesus lived, and if we see that so often he placed an importance on doing the next right thing, the question for us today is, well, what keeps us from doing the next right thing? It's a crucial question for us to evaluate, because if we don't, it can stunt our growth of us becoming all who God wants us to be. And so that's why today, I wanna go ahead and take some time to talk to us about three things that keep us from doing the next right thing. And I could think of no better passage of scripture than to unpack this in, than in 2 Kings chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up there with me, 2 Kings chapter five. And while you're turning there, let me go ahead and set the scene for you. See, in 2 Kings chapter five, we are introduced to a commander of an army and this man's name is Naaman. And Naaman is a man who is greatly esteemed. He is highly established. And he's a commander in a place called Syria. But Syria is a pagan nation. It's one full of darkness and idolatry. There is absolutely no hope in God. But Naaman finds himself stuck with the situation he has, and he is seeking out hope. See, Naaman can relate to this feeling of being stuck so much so that he's seeking out a savior he has never really known. So starting in verse one, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. See, immediately when we open up this passage of scripture, we see that Naaman, although a mighty warrior, he suffers from leprosy. Now to truly grasp exactly what this means, we'd have to look back into Old Testament scripture, which teaches us that leprosy is a terrible bacterial disease. It starts out as a small spot on our skin before spreading throughout your entire body, even affecting the nerves in our body that give us the ability to feel pain. Now not only does this sound painfully physically on our body, but on top of this, we see that leprosy actually has social ramifications. See, those with leprosy, they would be placed on the outsides of town, shunned by society because they were deemed contagious and unclean, but therefore resulting in them being unwelcomed and unloved. And Naaman, although a mighty warrior, he's got just one problem. He notices a spot. It's leprosy. See, Naaman has all the accolades but he's faced with an interruption, something that he cannot control. And what people don't know about this mighty warrior is underneath all of that armor, it really just feels like Naaman's falling apart. 
Have you ever been there? Where it's like everything seems great on the outside, but oh, if someone could see within, it would really just seem like everything was falling apart because of a circumstance you cannot control. Naaman is stuck and he doesn't know what to do next. But I told you that when it comes to next steps, I had three things. So here's the first thing. What keeps us from doing the next right thing? Well, we assume everything relies on us. We can assume that everything relies on us. See, after we're introduced to commander of the army named Naaman, we see that the scriptures actually continue on. And picking back up in the word of God, it says, at this time, raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter for you to take to the king of Israel. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? So Naaman has leprosy, but he hears from a little servant girl that he can be healed if only he would go and visit the prophet of God. So Naaman goes to visit the king to implore about going to see this prophet. And did you catch how that king of Israel responded? Let's look at the word again. It said that he tore his clothes in dismay. And he said, am I God that I can give life and take it away? See, in other words, this king is prohibiting himself from doing the next right thing simply because he's assuming that everything relies on him. And don't miss it. How often can we do the same? Come on, we hear about a situation that we cannot control. And instead of thinking clearly about the situation, we rather result to worrying about it. Thinking, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And I don't really know how God's gonna come through. When God is right there next to you, saying, well, who told you it relied all on you? This king is tearing up his clothes in dismay and just so commonly, we can too. We cloud our ability to wait on God after we say amen. We could even cloud our ability to even formulate a prayer simply because we're assuming that everything relies on us. But don't assume this all relies on you. I love how today is Memorial Day weekend. And let me just add, I love how we are taking time as a church today to collect water for those currently serving our country. But what gives this day significance is because we are honoring all of those who have given up their lives so that we could be free. In fact, church, would you just help me to give honor to all of those who have got our freedom today? But you know, when these heroes of our nation when they had to think about what that sacrifice would mean of joining our armed forces, they truly had to weigh all the factors of what this sacrifice could mean, even if it meant one day giving up their lives. Now in a similar way, we too need to weigh all the factors that we have as sons and daughters of the most high God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so when thinking about doing the next right thing, we must never forget this one fact, 
We have a heavenly father factor. Come on, there's power in those words with some alliteration. Would you help me read it out loud together? Ready, go. We have a heavenly father factor. We have a heavenly father factor. Someone fighting for the things we can't see. Moving mountains we can't move. We have a heavenly father factor in our God. Is anything too hard for us? Yes, a whole lot of things. I don't know if you're anything like me, but for me, there are a lot of things that are too hard for me to do. But in God's word, we see that nothing is too hard for our God. When in Jeremiah 32, God says, I am the Lord, the God of all of mankind. Is anything too hard for me? We can do the next right thing and trust God with the rest simply because it doesn't rely all upon us. So what keeps us from doing the next right thing? Well, we can assume that everything relies on us. But here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this one down. We mistake our thoughts for God's thoughts. What keeps us from doing the next right thing? We can mistake our thoughts for God's thoughts. See, after the king of Israel panics and hearing that Naaman needs healing, we see that someone else hears about this encounter, and it's the prophet of God named Elisha. And the word of God continues on, and it says, but when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him saying, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is one true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call him the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of the Damascus, the Abana, and the Far Par better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Elijah promises healing, but Naaman becomes frustrated. And he's frustrated at the thought of having to enter into the dirty waters of the Jordan. But there are two words that dangerously stick out in that passage of scripture when thinking about doing the next right thing. Did you catch it? It's the two words, I thought. See church, the greatest barrier of our faith can often be what I thought God would do. Naaman already had a preconceived notion on how he thought God should heal him. And my goodness, I can relate to that. See, we try to preconceive what God will do and then we get frustrated, come on, when God doesn't come through like we thought he would do. Naaman was prohibiting himself from thinking about doing the next right thing simply because he had already thought of 10 steps in which God should heal him. So that any interruption to this timeline that Naaman created must mean that God wasn't working, but it's simply not true. God was working. It just wasn't in the way Naaman expected him to do. See, in verse 11, these are the words of Naaman. He said, I expected him to. Naaman expected God to do this. See, church, expectations, they can contaminate faith. 
Let me say that again, expectations. Those things you thought God should do, they can contaminate your faith. Knowing what is ahead is not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things yet seen, as Hebrew 11.1 1 says. Could it be that you have said amen and you are waiting on God, questioning if he hears you, when really God does hear you and he is moving? It's just not in the way you expected him to do. See, we are called to do the next right thing, not to think 10 steps ahead into our future of what God should do, but rather trusting him day by day at his word as we simply do the next right thing. So what keeps us from doing the next right thing? We already talk about how we could assume that everything relies on us. And so often we can mistake our thoughts for God's thoughts. Here's the third thing. And church, you've been doing so great this morning. Let's go ahead and get ready to read this last point out loud together. It'll be on your screens. Ready, go. We let circumstances try to tell us who God is. What keeps us from doing the next right thing? We let circumstances try to tell us who our God is. Do not let your circumstance try to tell you who God is. So often we can prohibit ourselves from doing the next right thing simply because we are letting our circumstance try to tell us who our God is. See, the enemy would love nothing more than for you to allow your present circumstance to try to tell you who God is, but it's simply not true. God never promised us a life without pain or problems. Sometimes you will wait on God and he won't come through in the way that you expected him to do, but he always promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And hear me today, church, never underestimate what God can set into motion with just one move of a next right step. It's what God wants for you and exactly what we see happens with Naaman. So after we see that, Naaman hears that in order to be healed, he has to go against his expectations and rather go bathe in the dirty waters of the Jordan that he doesn't wanna go into. We see that Naaman goes to confide in his officers. And continuing on in God's word, it says, but his officers try to reason with him. And they said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. Now don't miss this part, it's my favorite. As his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. So instead of Naaman allowing his circumstance to try to tell him who God is, he instead decides to trust God as his word and step into the dirty waters of the Jordan. Can you picture it? Naaman steps into those dirty waters, still disgruntled about being in those waters rather than the waters that he deemed more clean. But Naaman just starts washing, just as the man of God had told him. He is willing to be seen as ridiculous in order to be victorious for his God. Let me say that again, sometimes we need to be willing to be seen as ridiculous 
in order to be victorious for Jesus. See, we can get so consumed with what other people think about us that can we not, we can miss out on what God has for us. But Naaman isn't preoccupied with what other people may think about him. He's washing, washing once, twice, all the way to seven, because it's what the man of God had said. See, the Bible loves to have numbers be associated with signs. And seven is the number of perfect completion in God's word. A foreshadow of how God was perfectly going to complete the good work that he has started within us. And you know, looking at this passage of scripture, it makes me wonder today, what if brokenness and God's presence can coexist? See, we can get so consumed with what thinking of what the next step is, when what if it's never really been about taking the next perfect step, but rather just taking the next right step? See, I put it in my notes like this. We might not see everything, but we can do the next right thing. And hear me today, do not let your circumstances try to tell you who God is. Maybe you're a divorcee, or you were abused as a child. Maybe you were unemployed or you were given up for adoption. Don't allow your circumstance to try to tell you who God is. You are not what you go through. You are not what has been done to you. You are not what others say about you or what you think they may think about you. You are a child loved by God. And rest assured that after you say amen, you can trust the good God who is guiding you as you do the next right thing. See, what I love about this passage of scripture is that Naaman can relate to the pain and the frustration of having to wait upon God. But did you see what happens when he comes up from those waters? The scripture said that his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. Meaning that Naaman wasn't just healed, but he was restored to something better. Because ours is the God who has the power to redeem what is broken. And could it be that you're praying things that you think are a good idea, but God is the one that really sees best. But what I absolutely love about this passage of scripture is what Naaman didn't see. See, Naaman was so obsessed with the frustration of having to enter into these dirty waters of the Jordan rather than going into the waters that he deemed more clean. In fact, earlier on the text, Naaman said, aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Naaman was so frustrated at having to enter into those waters rather than the waters that he deemed more clean. But God saw what Naaman didn't see. See, the waters of the Jordan, they're symbolic in our Bible. It was the rivers of the Jordan that actually were the waters that bounds the promised land. For the people of Israel to step into the waters of the Jordan was to step into the promises that God had for them. Good promises that God still wants to give you today. And don't miss it. What Naaman didn't see is that thousands of years later, God would send his one and only, most perfect, complete, and holy son, Jesus, to step into those same dirty waters of the Jordan. Jesus, God in flesh, he would be submerged underneath those dirty waters. 
taken deep down to the grime of those dirty waters before coming right back up as a testament of being a symbol of the life that Jesus had come to live and the death and resurrection that he would one day have. God used those less than dirty waters of the Jordan as a symbol of how Jesus was to enter into our less than dirty and broken world. He was to die a gruesome death on a cross, nailing our sins to the cross with them and before taking them down to the grave with him and then come on church, coming back to life three days later, showing us that with our Jesus, there's no story too broken, come on, no life too messy that our God cannot step into, restore, rescue and redore. That's the power our God has for us. So it's Memorial Day weekend. And here you are finding yourself at church, sitting in the Old Testament talking about a man named Naaman that you probably never even heard of till this moment right here. And you're probably thinking, well, so what? So what does this mean for me? Allow me to ask you that question that I asked you at the start of this message again. What place are you settling for staying stuck in? And what next right thing do you need to do in order to begin to move out of it? Maybe for you, it's going to go sit down with your manager. You've been feeling that nudge from the Holy Spirit, yet you keep on avoiding it. Maybe for you, it's time to get back down on your knees and start praying like you actually believe God can do something again. I felt this one really strongly this week as I was praying for you, church. Maybe for you, the next right thing you need to do is stop trying to do life on your own and rather allow someone else to come beside you and pray about a situation that you're going through. Listen to that still, small voice and do the next right thing that he has told you. I believe what God wants us to know today is if you could just see it, if you could just see what is happening while you work and while you wait, if you could just see the ways that heaven is moving on behalf of the prayers that you could pray, if you could just see the way that the story is yet to be told, then maybe you would know that that place in which you feel stuck is really a setup of God's sovereignty to reach you. If only you just go and do the next right thing. Would you go ahead and stand up with me to your feet? All of you online, you're a part of our family, go ahead and stand up with us wherever you are if you're able. And let's go ahead and go to God in prayer today. Well, Holy Spirit, we come before you today, God. God, and we know that you are good and that you have good plans for us today. God, and I thank you for every single person, God, who is underneath the sound of my voice. God, I thank you for the next right things that you are calling them to do within their hearts, God. Father, may we never underestimate, God, the power of resting in who you are because we know that after we say amen, God, yours is the word that says all your promises are yes and amen. So Father God, we rest in your confidence today, God. God, we trust you and we love you and we pray a blessing over your people. And we pray that you are worthy of our worship today. God, you can have it all. It's in the name of the powerful, matchless name of Jesus that we all said, amen. amen. amen.